Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. As I was walking up here, I've just pondered and realised I'm not sure why I've been asked to speak on what is arguably the busiest Sunday service in this church's history, looking around the room. But regardless, we're here, and uh, it's going to be great. So uh, it's really great to have the chance to speak to you on uh, and celebrate on this Sunday as we celebrate how internationally diverse our our church uh, really is, and, and to celebrate our amazing church family. Do you know, I've been a part of, uh, I would say, this church or one of its previous sites in one way or another uh, for almost 32 years, uh, and I can never remember a time when I've looked out across the room from when I've been leading worship at the front um, and just seen so many cultures and nationalities represented, and that is amazing and absolutely is something that should be rightly celebrated, so it's great that we're doing that today. Um, And also just to say a personal welcome to anyone who is new, I'm sure there's people who are here who this is the first time that you've been here. So personally, for me, my name's Ash. We welcome you. We love that you're here. You are part of this family by walking through those doors. So please do feel at home. Uh, I've been asked this morning to share a a few thoughts on seeing church as a family and how we operate and live and work and share and do life together as one church family. And before I say anything else, I just want to read to you a a little passage. Actually, it's the one Katie read this morning. Thanks for stealing my verse. Um, But we're going to read it again, uh, because we absolutely need to understand this above all else and before I start making any other points. So Galatians 3, verse 26 to 28 says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So know that this morning. You belong to Jesus. We all belong to that same Jesus. And it doesn't matter where we've come from, and I mean that geographically, emotionally, spiritually, it doesn't matter what sex we are, what we do for work, what our political stance is, what football team we support, or anything else that separates you from the person sitting next to you, we are all children of God. So if you happen to have an extremely short attention spam, and that's about as much as you can take, as long as you go home knowing that, then I'm happy. That phrase, uh, children of God, In the passage, that's one example, and there are many, of the Bible telling us that we should consider ourselves family. I saw a video the other day on Instagram as I was scrolling through of a guy who was talking about um, where he works. And he said said something like, it's it's American, so Kat, I apologize for this. But he goes, here at this job, we're a family. Um, and, uh, And this guy on the video just sort of rolls his eyes. And he's like, it's a part-time job in Ikea. The second I arrive, I want to leave. You guys don't really seem to care about me or my well-being at all. I can't even stand being here, blah, blah, blah. He's quite dramatic in this, in this video. Um, but I don't think he's the only person who's had a maybe slightly similar response to that when they hear that phrase thrown around if it hasn't necessarily got the weight behind it. Um, and I just thought how sad it would be if that was some people's response to us as a church, when we start using that sort of language, they might think, oh, they keep saying we're a family, but when I come, no one speaks to me. They keep saying we're a family, but I don't seem to feel close to anyone here. I can't make any friends. They keep saying we're a family, but I don't feel very included, and I never get asked to do anything. 
They keep saying they're a family, but I don't think anyone really knows when I'm not here. I don't for one moment think that's the experience of everyone who walks through our doors at all. I know we are a really loving and welcoming community, and I've experienced that firsthand. But I'm also not naive enough to think that there are people who have walked through our doors who maybe don't feel as loved and sorry, and welcomed and supported as we would love them to. Um, I also feel fairly confident in saying that there are people in this room right now, maybe, um, who have been coming here for some time and who are thinking that what I've just described isn't necessarily their experience either. So how can we, as one church, consider ourselves family as the Bible suggests that we should? What does that actually look like? I think we can get a really helpful picture uh, by looking at the early church. So I want to read to you a few more verses. These are verses from Acts 2 and Acts 4. I'm going to sort of jump around them a little bit. These are basically talking about the church in its earliest days. So we'll start with Acts 2, 42 to 47, which should be on the screen behind me. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now we'll look at Acts 4, uh, 32 to 35, and it says this. It says, all the believers were uh, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So from those verses, here's just a few things I've drawn out that I think show us how they, the church at the time, worked hard to achieve like a community and family mindset. Firstly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching together. So to try and translate that into what it means for us, um, basically I think that means they devoted themselves to taking in what they heard on a Sunday in terms of the teaching and the preaching that the team here is delivering and put it into action. Um, And they did that with a sense of unity together. It wasn't um, just sort of one person, but the whole church together, learning together and then putting that into action together. They were together and had everything in common, it said. So again, there's a sense of unity about what they're doing. They had the same understanding, and they knew the direction of the church, and they knew what they were a part of and where they were heading. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, Now, I appreciate that's a bit of an extreme way of doing things, um, but it is what they did. And the heart behind that, though, is that they genuinely cared for each other. They genuinely wanted to look after each other and sacrifice for one another. They met together every day. Now again, that might seem a bit extreme to us, but to put that another way, they met together more than once a week on a, on a Sunday. They ate together in their homes. I think we all know that food helps build relationships, don't we? 
if you go on a first date with someone, it's probably going to involve some food because it helps you have something to get to know each other over. If you want to get to know someone better, we tend to invite them out for food if you can't cook or in for food if you can. Um, because we, we just know that it helps people feel at home and feel comfortable. Families eat together. So if we want to make people who come to church feel like part of the family, invite them over. Get to know each other. Let's make each other feel known. Uh, they worship together uh, in their homes too. So to me, that says they worship outside of a Sunday morning in whatever capacity that might look like, outside of their main worship. Um, they were all of one heart and one mind. Again, unity. They understood the vision of the church. They knew the direction in which they were going. And then lastly, there was no needy person among them. Again, they looked after each other. There being no needy person wasn't like a lovely situation they stumbled across. Um, rather, it was a circumstance that they created by taking decisive action to put other people before themselves. Now, I'm not saying that we need to live our lives and do church exactly as the early church did, but I think there is an awful lot to learn from what they prioritized and their heart behind uh, how they acted. Um, and I haven't got a load of time this morning, so I, I can't go into as much detail as I would like to. But there is a key thing that I think we can take away from it uh, that I just want to focus on for a little bit this morning, and that is uh, time. Just look at how much time they spent together in those, from what we take in those passages. We're basically given the impression that they were constantly in community with each other. They worshipped together, they were in the temple together, they ate together, they studied together, and they learned together. How much time do we spend together? We have an hour-long service once a week on a Sunday, and a bit of time to say hello to each other afterwards. Now, we have other things that go on in the church, sort of during the week, but I... I think I'm right in saying that largely um, Sunday morning is sort of where time together stops for a large proportion of us in this church. Um, it is impossible to build real relationships in one hour a week. It's just, it, it's not going to happen. So time is an investment. Whatever you invest your time in, you will see growth in. If you invest time into learning a musical instrument, you will get better at it. If you invest time into learning a language, you will be more fluent in that language. If you invest time into playing golf, you will get worse, apparently, if my experience <laughs> is anything to go by. And also just generally more angry at the world. But we'll, 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 put, that down. <laughs> we'll put that one down as like an, an anomaly. But if you invest time into your marriage we know that it's going to be stronger for it. If you invest time into your children, we know that your relationship with them and then they themselves are going to be stronger and healthier for it. So we know how important it is to invest time into our family. It's about time we realize how important it is to invest time into our church family. And there's levels to this. So that could be just spending social time together, like invite someone over for dinner, like I was saying, get to know them, create and grow relationships. If you have similar hobbies with people in church, do them together. Get to know each other through doing those. A few of us from here go and play uh, football in Canterbury on Monday nights, and it's a really relaxed and friendly game, and anyone is welcome. If you want to come, come find me. Like, I, would, I would love that. I would love to get to know you over doing something like that. 
I know that there's an art group that meet every other Thursday here. There's a group from here, I think, that do like bike rides. I don't know a lot about that, but I know that it happens. Um, there's loads going on socially within this church when you begin to look and, and find out. So it's a great way of starting to invest time into this church family. So you've got purely social stuff. And then you have like church meetups during the week. So we have things like life groups. You should definitely be part of a life group. Uh, we have, uh, what else is there? Sorry, uh, life groups, by the way, are just such a great way to build community, but it's done over looking at the Bible. So you really get the best of both. You get to have the friendships and the community, but you get to do that whilst also reflecting what you've heard on Sunday, bringing any other questions that you've got. I just, life groups are great. Please, please join a life group. Uh, and then you have things like um, worship meetings, like there's burn meetings that this church are associated with that happen sort of every other Friday. There's, there's loads of sort of church events that are going on where you can still get social elements, but also sp- uh, feed into yourself spiritually uh, as well. And then you've got serving, investing in helping with things like uh, youth on a Friday or tiny toes on a Wednesday, food bank or street pastors that sort of need help throughout the week. Uh, and, and I appreciate that these things might feel like the more difficult option of the three I've just given you in terms of investing your time, because perhaps they require you to give a bit more than, than take. But do you know what? I also think that the, they are the ones that have the potential to give the greatest return on your investment. The potential of uh, what I would say is generational impacts, even. I know I'm running out of time, which is why I'm speaking really fast. <laughs> but... Uh, just to give you a couple of really quick examples, when I was younger, uh, growing up in this church, I don't think she's here, which is probably good because I was going to embarrass her, but the lovely Julie Phelps, Julie and her, da- and her uh, sister Dorcas would, would regularly invite me and all my friends when, when we were like teenagers um, to their house uh, and feed us Sunday lunch, just as a thank you for all that we were doing in church and just to love us and just to encourage us and share with us and give us a space to be together. I don't imagine that sort of 10 teenagers were their ideal social people to have at their house. But, but it, was, it was their way of encouraging and loving us and investing into us. And um, I, I know that's made a change. To, to those of us who were at that age, I, I know that's had a positive impact on our lives going forward. And although it's, okay, Sunday lunch, they've got to get the food ready and do a little bit, but in in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't the biggest of sacrifice. It was just a loving way to encourage people who they might not have naturally been friends with in the church, but they wanted to be those sort of uh, mother figures of faith in our church, and they were so good at doing that. It's one example of how you can do this. Another one, uh, so Katie, who's been leading the service this morning. So Katie taught me when I was in Sunday school. Um, and back then, by the way, Sunday school didn't happen at the same time as church. It was before the service. So she was there early every week to teach me the Bible. And it's, it's really easy to think of Sunday school sometimes or kids' church as like a crash, But it's so much more than that. It's the foundations of these kids' faith. What Katie taught me in those earlier years uh, have been the foundations of everything I've done in my Christian faith 30 years later. More than that, Katie has basically led a life group that I've been a part of from when I was in youth, uh, all the way until today. I'm, I'm, I'm still part of that same life group. She's been a sort of spiritual mother figure for me my entire life, and, 
Um, I know that she has regularly prayed for me throughout my life as well. My faith would not be where it is now without Katie and what she has invested into me. She has set an example of what it means to invest into her church family. It's so much so now that my hope is that I can be to Katie's grandson Milo what Katie was to me in years to come. Do you see there's a generational impact when we begin to invest into our church family? There's a generational return on her investment. I would love you to think of it in that way. That when we talk about being a church family, it's not just about making friends or getting to know each other a bit or being friendly for the sake of being friendly, even though that's great and we want to be a really welcoming, friendly church. But really, what's behind that is about walking this Christian life together, investing in one another, encouraging one another to be more like Jesus, looking after one another and knowing that there is someone there to look after you when you need it, because you will. That's just how life works. We are one church family, and we've made great strides towards being more of a family in recent years. But I believe there is more to come. So I would encourage you to pray into what you can do to feel more a part of and invest further into this church family. Amen.